her story is becoming more familiar, not less familiar, but more familiar. Mary Daniel hadn't seen her husband in like 114 days due to COVID-19 restrictions. As seven years ago, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and placed into a, a senior care facility. And every night, Mary would go and visit him and get him ready for bed, even though he didn't know, really recognize her, or know who she was. And then COVID hit, and the facility closed on March 11th, and she was unable to get in. Mid-August, she was desperate to do something to get in to be with and see her husband. So corporate called her and said, hey, we've got a part-time job. It's washing dishes in the facility. Are you interested? She said, I'll do any job you offer me just to get in there and be with my husband. Church, our sin, not COVID-19, but our sin has separated us from God. And although we didn't know God because of our spiritual Alzheimer's, we didn't recognize Him, God proved His deep love for us by sending His Son Jesus to uh, perform and accomplish a job lower than the lowest of all jobs, which is dying on the cross for your sin and my sin. Even when we didn't recognize Him, even when we didn't know who He was, He came to be with us and to unite us to God. This is what Jesus has done. And although Steve doesn't recognize Mary, that doesn't mean she hasn't humbled herself to be with him. In the same way, Jesus has done everything necessary for you to know him. He loves you. He has come for you, even when we don't recognize him. So today we're launching into a Christmas series over four weeks. We'll get back to our journaling through the word uh, after Christmas, but for four weeks, we're going to be focusing in on a series called Knowing the King of Heaven. This Christmas, I pray that you'll come to the understanding that you can know the King of Heaven, that He has come for you to know Him and for you to follow Him and serve Him and worship Him. So today, we're going to dive into this series in Isaiah 7, verse number so if you have your copy of God's Word, would you say, I do? If you're at Isaiah 7, 14, will you say, I'm there? Hey, if you're not there, the Scripture's on the screen as you can see. So let's read Isaiah 7, verse number 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Father, we're so grateful for the reading of your word. We do pray for the hearing of it, the response to it. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would meet us right in the midst of our chaos, right in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our doubts and our fears. Would you meet us today in our exhaustion? Would you meet us today in our loneliness and our separation? Would you meet us today in our pain and in our suffering? God, would you meet us here? Would you reveal yourself to us? Would you teach us Holy Spirit? And we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, let me go ahead and give you the takeaway. It's, it's, it's very simply stated this way. You can know the God you know about. I pray through this series, beginning today, you will come to the place in your life that you will not settle for simply knowing about God. 
but you will take that next step to come to know God. You can know the God you know about. And I pray that'll be revealed to you today through God's Word. I want to show you four ways out of this one verse that you can know God today. Number one, you can know God as the sovereign. Somebody say sovereign. How many of you know God's in control? (laughs) In the midst of the cosmos, how many of you know He's in control? In the midst of your chaos, how many of you know He's in control? He's sovereign over it all. And Isaiah 7, 14, the first part of this verse really amplifies the sovereignty of God. And let me show it to you. It says, therefore, now responsible Bible students will always look to see what the therefore is what? Therefore, that's right. (laughs) And how do you do that? You look at what lies before the therefore, what comes before it. And what comes before it is the context of verse 14. So jump all the way back to verse 1 in chapter 7. I want to set up what's going on in the days of King Ahaz to help you understand what God is saying to us today. So in the days of Ahaz, chapter 7, Isaiah, verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, that's the king Ahaz. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem, look at this church, to wage war against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. In other words, King Ahaz and all of his kingdom are terrified that these other kings, Syria and Ephraim, are coming to make war against them, to attack them. And he cannot mask his fear. He's overcome with fear, shaking as trees shake in the wind. The people are terrified. So God, knowing how terrified King Ahaz is, he he sends Isaiah to speak some sense into the king. He sent Isaiah to tell the king what God had already told him through the prophet Samuel. So here comes Isaiah. Notice verse 3. And the Lord said to Isaiah, and this is also what the Lord said through Isaiah, Look at this. Go out to meet Ahaz. That, again, that's the king. You and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. That's verse 3. Verse 4. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. How about that, huh? <laughs> at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tobiel as king in the midst of it. Well, here's what God has to say about that. Look at verse number 7. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand. In other words, God is saying, hey, King Ahaz, this isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're not going to conquer you. Verse 7, and it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Somebody say faith. Faith. 
Not fear, faith. Right now in 2020, I know this version would be, if you are not firm in fear, you will not be firm at all. That's not what God says. God says if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Here, the Lord is reminding King Ahaz of what he's already told the people through Samuel. God's already promised that the house of David will stand forever. The throne of David will be established forever. You and your household, God told the people through Samuel. You and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. It will never come to an end. Sadly, the king only knew about the God who made this promise. He didn't know the God who made the promise. And so again, let me challenge you today. Do not settle for knowing about God, about his word. I want to challenge you today to know him. Surrender and come to know him as your personal Lord, as your personal Savior. So jump to verse 10. Here we go. We're getting closer to verse 14. Look at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. So here God is saying, okay, Ahaz, you don't believe me. I'm going to let you ask me for a sign to prove that I'm trustworthy. And here are the limitations on what you can ask. There are no limitations. As deep as Sheol, you don't get any deeper. As high as heaven, you don't get any higher. So ask whatever you want to ask as proof that I'm trustworthy, God says to Ahaz. In other words, God gave Ahaz a blank check. Write what you will. I'll deliver. Here's King Ahaz's response. But Ahaz said, verse 12, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And so the Lord said, Hear then, O house of David, not just King Ahaz, but the whole entire throne of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Then we have the messianic prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So here's what's happening. Because of this reason, because Ahaz will not ask God, because Ahaz will not trust God, because Ahaz has decided, I'm going to align myself with men rather than with God. I'm going to trust man rather than God. Then God says, okay, Ahaz, because you will not ask, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And it's not just a sign for you. It's a sign for the entire house of David. It's the Messiah, messianic prophecy, that I am going to give you this sign. Despite all this truth that King Ahaz has heard from the Lord, he refuses to ask the Lord. He refuses to trust the Lord. He refuses to draw near to the Lord. Can I ask you a question? Aren't you so thankful that God doesn't wait on us? (laughs) Aren't you so glad That God does not wait on us to approach Him. Aren't you so glad that God doesn't wait on us to come to Him? Aren't you so glad God doesn't wait on us to draw near to Him? That He doesn't wait on us to love Him? That He doesn't wait on us to move toward Him? That He doesn't wait on us to pursue Him? Because if He waited on us, we never would. If he waited on King Ahaz to ask, he'd still be waiting. 
God doesn't wait on us to move toward Him. God is always moving toward us. And He does that here with King Ahaz. King Ahaz won't ask, so what does God do? I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to draw near to you anyway. I'm going to pursue you anyway. I'm going to reveal myself to you anyway. Aren't you so grateful that our God is a giver and not a taker? Because how this should read is, okay, King Ahaz, you won't ask. Therefore, the Lord himself will take you out. Right? It doesn't say that. Look at verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign, not take you out. God is a giver. Our God is a giver. The giver, according to John 3, 16, the giver gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say that the, the taker took his only son away from us. It says the giver gave his son. God is a giver. I'm so glad that he doesn't wait on us, but he is sovereign even over our rebellion. Isn't it so wonderful to know that just because of our knuckle-headed rebellion and our knuckle-headed unbelief, the promise of God doesn't stop? Isn't it good to know that our unbelief doesn't somehow cause God's word to be untruthful? Just because we don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because King Ahaz didn't believe didn't mean that God was going to come through on his promises. And just because you and I are knuckle-headed, rebellious, unbelieving, fallen creatures doesn't mean that God won't keep his promise to those who trust his son. Isn't that good to know that he's sovereign even over our rebellion? I wonder how many of you turn back your bathroom weight scales on Thanksgiving Day. Anybody do that? I turn mine back. I, I ate Thanksgiving dinner about two or three times. Anybody else? Back for seconds and more and more and more. You know, it's no accident. When you read the book of Esther, if you haven't read that in a while, I'd encourage you to read the book of Esther. When you read the book of Esther, it's no accident that she fed the king twice before she made her request of him. <laughs> she didn't feed him once, she fed him twice. Why? She's buttering up the king, right? Well, when, when God says here to Ahaz that I'll give you a sign, I'm going to give you another second chance at grace, God is not buttering up the king. God is highlighting his sovereignty that even though he is rebellious and will not ask and will not draw near to God, that doesn't negate the promise God made to the house of David just because of one knuckle-headed unbeliever who happened to be a king on the throne. God keeps his promises. God has always been sovereign. He's always been. In Abraham's day, in Adam's day, in King Ahaz's day, he was sovereign in Paul's day, in Peter's day, in Habakkuk's day, in Gideon's day. He was sovereign in Timothy's day, Obadiah's day, Mary's day, Nathaniel's day. In our day, even today, God is sovereign. He is sovereign over all. So please, don't let all the chaos fool you. God is working his plan. <laughs> He's in control and he's working it. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows all things. And, and if you can only see what you can see, 
then you cannot see what all there is to be seen. You don't see it all. Billy Graham said it like this. Billy Graham said, simply stated like this. If God told us, and he said this 50 years ago, but if God told us what he was doing, and you can apply that to 2020, if God told us what he was doing in 2020, we wouldn't believe him anyway. He has a plan, and he's working that plan. Right, right after the beginning of the 2003 attacks on Iraq, there was a news conference. Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld was being interviewed, and a reporter asked him a question. And the reporter asked the Secretary of Defense about the, quote, apparent failure to follow the war plan, end quote. To which the Secretary of Defense responded, and I quote, back to the reporter, he says, I don't believe you have the war plan, end quote. You don't know the plan. Oftentimes we approach God like that reporter, and we approach God and we say, God, you're not working the plan I expect you to work and God just like he told Job and just like he told countless others and just like he tells us hey you don't have the plan I have the plan and I'm working it the psalmist said it like this and oh by the way the word psalm or psalmist the p is silent not the S, okay? So Psalm 46.10 reads this way. Be still, which means shrink down to size, literally, to be still. To, in other words, know your place. Be still and know, that's have confidence in, be still and know that I'm God. That means that God is sovereign over the cosmos and he's sovereign over your chaos, he is sovereign over it all. And you can know him as sovereign because it says right here, therefore the Lord himself, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Not another angel, not heaven, but the Lord himself. He is sovereign and he will give you a sign. So again, please tell me again, what is it in your life or in this world that you think God can't handle? Tell me that again. He's sovereign over it all. And you can know him as the sovereign. Secondly, you can know God as the son. Uh, here, verse 14 again. It says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The word behold is an announcement. And the announcement is God, which Emmanuel, God with us, means that God came to be with us in this vulnerable package known as a baby. A newborn baby, God in the flesh, referred to here as son. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, behold is an announcement. Now, normally, we don't announce humility. We don't go around announcing how humble we are normally, right? Like telling people, I wrote a book, Humility and How I Achieved It. Don't you want to read it? You know, we don't normally announce that. But here, the most humble event in human history is announced. That God himself, 
became flesh and dwelt among us. There is no, nothing more humble than that. He humbled himself, even to the point of death, death on a cross for you and for me. His mother was Mary. And Mary conceived Jesus in her womb by way of the Holy Spirit. This is a virgin conception. It's a miracle that had never happened before and has never happened since. In fact, it proves what Genesis 3.15 prophesied all along. So take your Bibles, go all the way left to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis shouldn't be too hard to find. Literally, the word means beginning, so it's at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 3 verse 15 reads this way. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Somebody say her. Not he is, but her. Now, this is very unique because Jewish genealogies listed men, not women. So normally, when something like this would be said or read, it would read his offspring, not her offspring. But the truth is, Jesus is not the offspring of Joseph. Joseph was the husband of Mary, but Jesus is the offspring of his mother Mary and the Holy Spirit miraculously conceiving Jesus in Mary's womb. And notice it says, he shall bruise your head, Genesis 3.15, and you shall bruise his heel, pointing to the cross. His heel, he shall, not she shall, or she, or her heel. This is pointing to the fact that this was a son, the Messiah, Jesus, born to the Virgin Mary. Now, we can spend a lot of times counting our blessings, and we should. It's, I would say it's way less burdensome than numbering our complaints is to count our blessings. That's a good thing to do. But in order to be thankful, we have to understand if we're going to be thankful for what is given to us, there must be a giver who gave it, right? So God is the giver. He, again, he's not the taker. He's the giver. He has, a son has been given to us. A son has been given to us. The giver gave his only son. So Jesus here is not a God. Jesus is not aspiring to be God. He will not one day become God. Jesus is not simply like God, or he doesn't just point us to God. Jesus is God in the flesh. A son has been given you. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. In John chapter 17, Jesus said it like this. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In Matthew, Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's us, church. <laughs> Jesus has chosen to reveal to us God the Father, through the person of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
You can know God as the Son. There was an atheist and a, and a Christian, and they were on a platform like this one and a blackboard behind them, and they were debating, pretty intense debate. And the atheist wrote on the board, God is nowhere. And then he spoke for a while. Then the Christian stepped up, and he took that W in front of the word where, nowhere, and he erased it from the word where, and he put it on the back end of the word no, and he changed what it said to God is now here. He's here. That's, that's why we celebrate this time of year, the birth of Christ. Why? Because God is here now. Jesus means, Emmanuel means, God is with us. God is here. And that leads us to the third way that you can know God. You can know God as the shepherd. Yes, you can know him as the sovereign. Yes, you can know him as the son. Thirdly, you can know him as the shepherd. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. Emmanuel will never mean God without us. It will only always mean God with us, God near to us, not far from us, but near to us, with us. God with us. That's what it reads in verse 14 at the end of it. And shall call his name God with us. Shall call his name God with us. That will never be God without us. John Wesley is one of my heroes in the faith. A gospel preacher from the 18th century. He rode on horseback. 250,000 miles in his preaching career and preached over 40,000 times. Traveled a quarter of a million miles on horseback to preach 40,000 times. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ alone by grace alone, I doubt when we get to heaven, John Wesley is going to want to hear us complaining about our Zoom calling and mask wearing fatigue when he has rode 250,000 miles on a horse preaching the gospel. I don't think he'll probably have a lot of empathy for us. But on his dying bed, here's what John Wesley said. The, the words on his lips were this, the best of all is God with us. God with us. So what does that mean? It means that God is with us in our fear. He's with us in our doubts. He's with us in our loneliness and separation and suffering and pain. He's with us in our abandonment. He's with us in our exhaustion. He's with us on the good days. He's with us on the bad days. He's with us on every day in between. He is with us. He's the good shepherd. Think about, I know, I know Thanksgiving and getting together. For some people, they did it virtually. Some people did it in person. For some people, it's like being in a war zone probably, right? And I know it's tough to get everybody together, and it can be difficult. And this is a difficult time of year. Uh, this is the most loneliest time of the year. Yet, we celebrate God being with us in the midst of all that loneliness, 
I know drinking increase spikes this year, and people drink to wash their pain away. Even in that, God is with us. God knows your darkest sin, your darkest secrets, yet in Christ, he's with you anyway. How about that? He's with us. Even in the toughest, roughest of times, Jesus never leaves us, never forsakes us. So what is your pain today? What is your valley today? What is your suffering today? In Christ, you are not lost, and you are not forgotten. For Emmanuel means God with us. And our ignorance of what God is doing in no way negates the fact that he is with us or that he cares for us. No way negates that. Jesus said it like this, John 10, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my own sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So this is what Emmanuel means. Emmanuel means the good shepherd is with his bad sheep. That's what it means. Last one, and we're done. You can know God as the Savior. Take your Bible, jump all the way over to Matthew, take a left, go to Matthew. I mean, don't take a left, you won't get there. Take a right. If you take a left, you're not going to get to Matthew. I mean, if you take a left, you won't get to Matthew. Just get to Matthew, okay? (laughs) Matthew chapter 1. This prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14 is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. I want to read part of that to you. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that is Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. They shall call him Jesus as he will save his people from their sins. Well, how does Jesus do that? How does Jesus save us from our sins? Did he stop racism to save us from our sins? No. Does he he stop poverty and hunger to save us from our sins? No. Does he stop pollution or technology to save us from our sins? No. Does he stop the government? Did he stop the Roman government? Does he stop government to save us from our sins? No. That's not how he saves us from our sins. Jesus stopped death, dead in its tracks, to save us from sin. For the wages of sin is death. And Jesus delivered us from death. He saved us from death. He saved us from our rebellion, from our sin, from death, by going to the cross and dying a death we all should have died. Being buried and raised to life. D.A. Carson said it like this. If God had perceived our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If God had perceived our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent a politician. We need to hear that again in 2020. If God had perceived our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If God had perceived our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our own death. So he sent us a Savior, Christ the Lord. Today, a Savior's been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, I tried my best to shop on Black Friday. I attempted to do so. Now, I didn't go to any store 
I wouldn't go to a store on Black Friday if it wasn't COVID-19. I'm just not going to go. So I tried to do it online. And so I went to this website, and in big, bold, unapologetic letters, bannered across the screen, it read 75% off site-wide. So I started filling the card up. That's, that's a good deal, man. 75% off? Are you kidding me? So I'm filling up the cart because I just know that this prophecy that's been prophesied, 75% off site wide, that it will be fulfilled when I hit the little checkout button, right? I knew that. Boy, was I wrong. There was only one item in my cart that qualified for 75% off. 75% off site wide only applied to about 3% of the site. None of that came to fruit. None of that was fulfilled. I can promise you today that 100% of every prophecy in the Word of God has either already been fulfilled or it will be fulfilled. Every single one of them. Not 90% of them. Not 99% of them. 100% of them. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior has been born. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ Lord. You can know God as the Savior. Yeah, you can know Him as sovereign. You can know Him as the Son. You can know Him as the Shepherd. But you first must know Him as the Savior. See, God was unapproachable till Jesus tore the veil. We could not see Him until Jesus revealed him. We couldn't reach God until Jesus bridged the gap. Sure, officials may write laws, legislation can make laws, presidents can sign laws, law enforcement can enforce laws, but only Jesus Christ changes hearts. Only Jesus. And if you don't know him as your personal Savior and your Lord today, I am persuading you, I am asking you, I am begging you to repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and put your faith alone in Christ alone. Believe in and on Jesus and place your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection for the payment of your sin. Call on his name and you'll be saved today. You say, why should I do that? Why should I trust? Here's what Paul said. Listen, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul doesn't say, I count everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing about God or knowing about the Bible or knowing about church or knowing about fill in the blank. He says, I count everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you know him as Savior and Lord? Adrian Rogers said it like this. Have you ever wondered what a church full of Pharisees would be like? Number one, they'd all attend every service. Number two, they'd all tithe. Number three, they'd all work in the church. Number four, they would all go to hell. So here's what Emmanuel means. It means, for those of us who put our faith in Christ, here's what Emmanuel means. It means God with you, God with us, in Jesus. That's what it means. God with us in Jesus. Now, if you reject Christ and you reject the gospel, when Jesus comes again, here's what Emmanuel's going to mean for you who reject him. 
Or if you die before he comes again, here's what Emmanuel means. It means Emmanuel means God with you in judgment. So it's either God with you in Jesus or God with you in judgment. There is no in-between. So today, let me say again, you can know God as the sovereign. You can know him as the son. You can know him as the shepherd. But first of all and foremost, you must know him as the savior. So I'm going to ask you to ask God to forgive you of your sin today. And God asked you to ask him. He asked you to don't be like King Ahaz in Isaiah 7 and don't ask. You ask God. You can believe in the God who Abraham believed. You can buy into. Listen, Black Friday. That's the day we buy stuff, isn't it? Good Friday is the day that Jesus bought you. And you can buy into the God who bought you. You can. You can call on the God whose name is called Jesus. You can delight in the God who delights in you. The Bible says God delights in us. You can desire the God who desires that no one should perish, but all reach repentance. You can endure to the end for the God who endured the cross for you. You can follow the God who says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You can glorify the God in your life, the very God who qualified you with his death. You can love the God who first loved you. You can make known the God who has made himself known. You can obey the God who was obedient to death, even death on the cross. You can rejoice today in the God who was raised on the third day. You can trust in the God who is the truth. You can do that today.